Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. I'm Tom Martin with the Alltech Ag Future podcast. Joining us is Dr. Marsha Endres, a professor and the director of graduate studies in the Department of Animal Science at the University of Minnesota, where she holds an extension and research appointment. She also coaches the university's North American Intercollegiate Dairy Challenge teams. In addition to publishing more than 70 peer-reviewed research articles, numerous abstracts, proceedings, and popular press articles, as well as seven book chapters. She has served as the editor for the 2021 international book, Understanding the Behavior and Improving the Welfare of Dairy Cattle. Dr. Andres currently serves as the chair of the International Precision Dairy Farming Association. And she's here to tell us about research that she has led on precision dairy technologies, including robotic milking systems, automated milk feeders, and individual cow behavior sensors. Welcome, Dr. Andres. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Smart technologies have delivered precision farming to the whole world. What does this look like, though, in the dairy industry right now? So in the last few years, we've seen an increase in the adoption of various technologies that we could call precision dairy. So from, like we mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier sensors or even computer vision systems these days. Uh, we have automation for milking, for feeding, feeding cows, feeding calves. And all the systems provide us with a lot of data about every cow every day. Are you seeing any important trends right now in dairy technologies, new innovations or developments? Yeah, we're seeing one trend I've, I find interesting. It relates particularly to robotic milking, which was is one area most of my team tends to focus on lately, is that I didn't expect so many of the, what I call a little larger dairy operations, um, adopting the, the box system for milking cows and robots. And we've seen quite a few new dairies uh, popping up in the Midwest where I'm based. And uh, that's an interesting trend to me. And I think it has 
quite a bit to do with labor shortages and the fact that it's getting more and more difficult to find employees uh, in North America or in the U.S., I should say specifically, who want to milk cows every day, 365. You know, it's a, it's a very intensive, labor-intensive kind of job. So having a robot system that attaches the units to milk cows and at the same time provides a lot of information about those cows that are housed in groups, but you get individual information about them to better manage those cows in terms of health, reproduction, and so on. That's being a trend that is really growing in our area. And how is it capturing that that variety of information? So basically, once a cow... I'm, particularly referring to what we call box systems. So it's a voluntary milking system where cows by themselves come to a box to be milked. And as she steps into that box, there are different things that can be measured on her. For example, milk production per quarter, uh, conductivity of the milk, temperature of the milk, color of the milk. Uh, Depending on the the optional choices the producer has, it can also measure somatic cell counts these days. Uh, You can get body weights for the cow. You can have box time, attachment time, how that's really being efficient or not efficient, and so on. And all that information, what the companies do now is that all the information that's collected about each cow is kind of put together using artificial intelligence to select animals that deviate from normal that day, let's say, and create an attention list for the farmer to go and look at cows that potentially could be at risk of being sick, for example. So it creates that list that producers I work with will look at that list at least twice a day, maybe three times a day. And then cow numbers in there and they go, okay, this animal could potentially, let's say, have, have mast- she has mastitis. So now I'm going to do a CMT or uh, on-farm culture to see if she really has mastitis. So that has helped monitor health and manage health better by having the information. But that information has to be distilled for the producer into action lists. Otherwise, it's so much data they, they don't know what to do with, <laughs> with that, right? Well, it's come a long, long way from the days of the stool and the big bucket. Definitely. And so, so what so, sorts of macro changes would you say in dairy operations have been brought about by the introduction of digital technologies? Well, again, the better monitoring, the better health, potentially, of cows. Um, also, the ability to maybe help you select your best animals that you want to keep in the herd and the ones that you're going to sell because they're not as productive or maybe they're not adequate for that system, if you will. So that Mm -hmm. that brought that kind of a change. Um, And and then newer and newer technologies that get introduced into the market then can be potentially added to these systems. So we start measuring things that might be uh, even more help the, helpful into the future, looking at sustainability, you know, even the environmental measurements and things like that could come potentially. Uh, better ways of detecting lameness is something that's probably coming, which allows us to solve what I still consider a big issue in the dairy industry, which is lameness prevalence, that we should be doing better than we are yet, uh, has been improved over the years. Since I started being a professor, I see differences. However, we still need to take care of that from a perspective of our social license to produce milk, having good cow care, having good health, having cows that are not in pain, because lameness is very painful to a cow. So I see that maybe being introduced into the future. There's new computer vision technology that's just coming into our market in the U.S., developed in, uh, in Ireland. And that technology is being tested now in the U.S. and could potentially be added. It would have to be installed in a way uh, where a cow comes out of that box 
And then it would have to be like a, a walking exit where then cows could walk through in a single lane and straight line, and then it could be used there. I mentioned individual cow behavior sensors, and mm-hmm. I think what we've been talking about is technology that detects conditions and so forth, but they probably are walk hand in hand. But uh, I'm really curious about these particular sensors, behavior sensors. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, so a lot of those that I've been talking about in terms of sensors are behavior in the sense that they can measure, for example, rumination time, which is a behavior, right? Some sensors exist that measure lying time, so how much hour, how many hours per day cows are lying down or resting, which is an important uh, measurement of uh, health and comfort. Uh, we have sensors that can uh, now also measure feeding time at the feed bunk. That's not just a part of a robotic system. It's, it's separate. Any farm, conventional farms can have it too. So it's a proximity to the feed bunk or the position of the head of the cow. It can tell if she's eating or not eating. So it can look at feeding time, which is, again, an important measurement for for health and for productivity. Um, And we have uh, sensors that can go into the rumen and look at the temperature of the rumen and can uh, even measure activity uh, even though they're inside of the cow. We have also other sensors that measure uh, things in the milk. And those can be available not only for robotic farms, but for conventional parlors also, where they're measuring different things that are um, not maybe not behavior related, but they are more measuring different metabolites and, and things like that or components. So yeah, there's some behavior sensors and then things that measure physiological parameters. So we have both now in the market, which is, is cool. And of course, the one I mentioned earlier about the computer vision looking at lameness, that's a behavior. They're looking at the gait behavior of the cow, how she's walking. So that's another behavior actually too. Well, I've read that there are now sensor systems for disease management. Mm-hmm. Correct? And, uh, yes. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So those systems that are measuring all these different things, right, um, related to the cow's behavior or, or physiological parameters, when you put them all together, we can have, let's say, uh, artificial intelligence techniques like machine learning, et cetera, to learn if this animal now, when you put all these measurements into one, you integrate them, that's the best way to do it, you're going to have a much better accuracy to detect an animal that might be sick. So I think we're getting better also in the integration of data these days uh, with the, the new techniques in terms of statistical techniques and so on. And that improves accuracy. So it's still missing some of the animals. You're still going to have a few you know, false positives and false negatives, most likely. But it's definitely got, has gotten better over the last few years. We're more accurate detecting the animal that needs attention. Quite often, innovation and change comes with unintended consequences and... Um I'm just wondering if we should expect these technologies to evolve even rapidly, as just as we're seeing with our smartphones and our laptops being updated pretty frequently. Should the uh, the operator now expect that as a part of their operation that all of this, all these gizmos that I've invested in and tied my future to, they're going to have to be updated? Yes, they are. Yeah. They absolutely are. So we have. Uh, uh, all the systems uh, need uh, frequent updates. You know, the software needs to be updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, sensors, for example, we have bolses in our cows uh, in one of the facilities that we have in, in Morris in a little bit northwest of the cities. And we, I keep getting messages from <laughs> from the manufacturer, this is time we need to update, you know, the, the software, the, the measurement into that. So that gets updated. So it's oh. kind of like an app. So it, it does get updated because they get more and more data fed into those equations and 
getting them better and more accurate. So now we have to update the app, if you will. So yeah, cows have apps and <laughs> they get updated too. <laughs> Who doesn't anymore? <laughs> exactly. So is this something that is actually now built into the operation, this this uh, planning for disruptions that you know are going to come as softwares are updated? Yes, they need to plan and understand that this is going to be needed. Sometimes equipment might need to be replaced because um, either the battery is, you know, no longer works because the battery is one that cannot be replaced in some of these systems and you get a new system. Um, so they need to be adjusted sometimes, uh, make sure they're in the right place, uh, that they didn't lose them if they're wearables kind of sensors. So it does take a little labor now to kind of work with these sensors and these apps. So the producers need to be willing to do this. So not every producer is going to have these technologies because some of them prefer to keep it simple and just hire the good people that have good cow sense. And those, especially in the smaller operations where they can, they know the cows and they know, okay, she doesn't look right today. So there are farmers that might never think they need those apps. I don't think many people today don't have smartphones, but then we still see the flip phone people around sometimes. <laughs> Not many anymore. But some people don't care, right, to have too many gadgets. So same with the farmers. Not everybody. Not every farmer is going to have these gadgets. Might pay to keep a 14-year-old around every now and then. But, <laughs> right. Uh, are there important socioeconomic impacts of precision dairy farming? Yeah, I think and I think something that is interesting to maybe we should do a little more research to see how the public uh, reacts to these, right? The way we sell it, when I give talks to more of the general public, I kind of tend to refer to our cows wear Fitbits. You know, they wear sensors to measure their activity, and they relate because they have a smartwatch or they have a phone in their pocket that looks at how many steps I took today and so on. So when we tell them that the animals have those things, it's not a negative. They feel like, oh, they are doing what I do to myself. They're monitoring themselves. And they're trying to see if, you know, if there was a deviation, like my app on my iPhone tells me, you didn't walk as many steps today as you did yesterday, you know, like. So I think they don't see that as a negative, but it's just how we talk to them, right? How we explain to the public that this is something that's coming to agriculture too. It's not just for it's us part of the vernacular. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So it's not a negative. I think we can put a... Yeah. I mentioned that you uh, coach the University of Minnesota's North American Intercollegiate mm -hmm. Dairy Challenge teams. Tell us about this competition. It must be really exciting and, and a joy to experience the, the innovative thinking of those minds. Yes, yes. So the Dairy Challenge started 20 years ago as a dairy farm evaluation type of competition. So our students, this is for undergrads, and uh, it you know moves across the country every year, if you will. And the students go to a farm and they evaluate all aspects of the farm in terms of uh, reproduction, other health, health, cow comfort, financials, facilities, you name it, everything, right? And they have an, uh, basically two hours on the farm and they get all the records too, like the records, management records from the farm. And then they have an afternoon to prepare a presentation that prioritizes areas for improvement that can lead to better profitability. So they have to take into account also profitability. And then they present to a panel of judges. And then the judges will have their own evaluation too that they do themselves. And then they're gonna see how close or how accurate that evaluation was of that farm. So it's really hands-on. It's very unique to the dairy industry and, and came about um, 
from some companies that were brainstorming how do we get students more uh, well-rounded in managing, in understanding the management and production on dairy farms. And they came up with this uh, competition. So I'm very you know, pleased that I've been coaching our teams for, because in my first year at university, new professor, somebody mm-hmm. came to me and said, oh, there's this new competition is starting. You're going to be doing it. You're going to be the coach. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, okay. So that was the first year. Our team got first place that year, which was wow. great. And then, of course, then it's kind of hard. And, and actually, this year's competition, our team also got first place in one of the divisions this year, too. No so kidding. it's really cool. And it's it's very nice for the for the students. There's a lot of pressure. The producers in the room listening to their presentation mm-hmm. and puts a lot of pressure. Like, are we finding the right things, you know? And this farm this year was a very good farm, so it was actually hard to find things to fix. Huh. But they did a very good job. So it's a very hands-on and very educational opportunity for our undergrads. It's really good. Well, you know, a number of people that we've talked to uh, in our podcast series this year have brought up uh, the pipeline of future talent in one way or another. You're somebody who is right there on the ground level as this is happening. Uh, what are your feelings about that? Do we Are we producing the talent that we need to sustain the industry into the future? Yeah, great question. Yes, I think we are. Um, of course, some of, some of our students actually go, we need some to go back to the farm, right, to, to take over. And, and expand, like one of my students, for example, that wasn't their challenge team this year, uh, graduated and now they put uh, robots and he's going back to the farm to really manage that and, and, and very interested in technology and going uh, in that direction. I have some that go and work for companies for a while and or work for a different farm and then they come back and manage a new dairy uh, of themselves. And some, of course, go to industry, obviously, and some will go to vet school and become veterinarians. So I think it's very important that universities have this, um, um, how can I say, mission of training them on really uh, what matters um, you know, to make those farms successful. If you're going to be a consultant or if you're going to be a farmer yourself, et cetera, that what are things that matter? What are things that can help make our dairy sector con- continue to exist and be sustainable into the future. The big questions of the environment and a social license to produce milk and so on, we need to expose them to that technology. We need to expose them to those things. And I think dairy programs in the U.S. are really striving, trying to do so. And I see because my colleagues at the challenge, the coaches, the other coaches, also teach their own dairy production classes and they really trying to create a new talent that you're talking about, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as, as a lot of the baby boomers are retiring and so on, we need people coming to replace that, the other generation. And I feel that we have less of them because we're seeing a reduction in the number of students that are going to production compared to students that might be going to what we call in our department the pre-vet emphasis. And they're more interested in companion animals and pets and so on. Um, I think across the country, you've seen a little bit of a reduction on the number of dairy production um, students in, in animal science and even dairy production veterinarians. So how do we incentivize more of them mm-hmm. to continue to work in, in those fields of product, production rather than just pets? <laughs> so I think we need to do a little better, but we still have some good ones. Have so, you worked on that question? Uh, we're trying. We, do, we did our best. We even, the college, started creating some scholarships for students from rural areas, trying to get them in. We got a few. We have what's called uh, a Vet Fest program that targets 
um, basically students start in our program as undergrads and uh, they do an interview process process on the second semester if they're going to work with large animals and if they maintain a GPA, don't quote me, but I think it's 3.4, they are guaranteed a spot in vet school. So that usually we have eight to 10 students that are in the vet fast program. So they're really targeted to being the large, large animal vet, you know, or, or I would say pigs and cattle and so on, not to pets. So they're trying to incentivize more of those students to come in. So those are some steps that are being taken, the scholarships, the VetFest program. Uh, you are chair of the International Precision Dairy Farming Association. The third international conference on precision dairy farming is coming up late August in Vienna. Oh, great that you know this. Yes. <laughs> but I wonder, what, what are you in the midst right now of putting together an agenda? I was just curious what's on the agenda. And, yes. and what, do you, what do you expect to hear in the hallway in the coffee shop buzz? Right. So this is what we call the international conference. So it's a little more the scientific arm, if you will. Uh, so I'm part of the planning committee. It's being hosted by colleagues at, in Vienna. So they are partnering. And it's also happening at the same time as the European Precision Livestock Farming Conference. It starts in the beginning of the week, and then we have the Precision Dairy Farming Conference. So the conference program is based more on the abstracts that are submitted to the committee for evaluation. And we have a whole plethora of different new things coming on and also things that are looking at technologies that already are in the market and how they can be optimized. Um, we have not yet concluded in terms of what we're going to have for what we're calling like a farmer day where we have a little more of a, a workshop, more hands-on discussion that's still in the works. We are going to going to have a tour day. So we're going to go to farms in the area that have technology. So those are still not completely finalized yet. Um, but I'm excited about going to Vienna and, and uh, seeing people again in person and being with the group. Um, and I don't know how many Americans are going to come across the pond. I hope some will come <laughs> and uh, will participate and have, like I said, the discussions in the hallway are always very um you know, inspiring because these are a lot of researchers doing sure. the next wave of, and industry people too are allowed to present some new technologies, uh, some research they've been doing in their own organizations also. So well, it sounds excited. really interesting. Yeah, thank you for knowing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Marcia Andres, a professor and the director of graduate studies in the Department of Animal Science at the University of Minnesota and chair of the International Precision Dairy Farming Association. Thank you, Dr. Andres. Thank you for having me today. Much appreciated. For the Alltech Ag Future podcast series, I'm Tom Martin. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.